that nurture wound in my heart was really a desire to be validated. And I had never been validated as a man by anybody in my world. Not my dad, not my mom. But you can go there in your head and you can be validated by other women. But again, there's the lie. That's the fantasy world. I think sexual lust was the drug of choice. And I was trying to tell her, that's not really about you, honey. Well, how else could she take it? Then he must not think I'm beautiful if he has to look at something else. I didn't really want to go there, but I didn't want to live with it in secret either. This is Behind Our Smiles. Pursuing connection. And finding joy. Even in the struggle. Welcome to another episode of the Behind Our Smiles podcast. We are Joe and Tara Buchanan. Yes, and we're so glad you're here. And today, a very special episode. We're really excited about our guests. We are having guests, which is cool (laughs) because we get to find out someone else's story behind their smiles. Right. And take a break from our smiles. (laughs) So today we're talking with uh, Pastor Cal and Susan Rickner from Mm -hmm. Northwoods Community Church. They've been married almost 41 years. Mm -hmm. They have four grown children. They have nine grandchildren. They They found and pastored a very large church in Peoria. And this, they have a lot of stories behind their smiles, way more than you might have guessed. (laughs) Right. And we're going to share just a few of those today. But before we get to that, I did want to say thanks to our amazing sponsor, Samaritan Ministries. As a Samaritan member, you have control over your health care, choosing the doctors, treatments, and hospitals that are right for you and your family. It's affordable. There are no network restrictions, and you can join today. In fact, you can find out more at samaritanministries.org slash smiles. We are so excited to be talking with Pastor Cal and Susan Rickner today. They are our special guests. Yeah, we're so glad that you guys are here. And man, 41 years of marriage coming years. up mm-hmm. in July. Congratulations. She's signing up for one more here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm signing up for even more. That's good. So it's each year, right? It's a year at a time. Right. Honey, you want to sign on again? And that's what she does. And we made it. So 41 years, amazing. So you, you guys probably have some tremendous stories along the way oh, yeah. of things that God has done. You've seen breakthrough. So we want to kind of go back Mm -hmm. to the beginning. So if my math is right, is that 1980-something that you guys met? Wow. We met in Bible College (laughs) in 1979 and married right after we graduated from Bible College in 1981, July 25. I do want to share really quickly how you met and who fell in love with who first. I think I had my (laughs) eye on her before she had her eye on me. (laughs) What about her caught your eye? All beautiful. (laughs) I remember I was actually dating somebody else, not real seriously, but she... Susan was singing in the what was called the chorale. Yeah. And, of course, because she's tall, she would always form the point. <laughs> and uh, this gal that I thought was kind of the best-looking gal on campus said to me, do you see that blonde girl up there? <laughs> I'm looking at her. She says, my mother was here this past weekend and saw her and said, she's the most beautiful girl I've seen. Mm-hmm. I looked at her. I didn't know what to say to her because I was <laughs> thinking – she isn't bad, but I knew she was dating somebody else back home. So how long? Like I don't want to be in a competition here. Yeah. How long did it take uh, before you realized that she was the one? A couple of times uh, going out together. Mm. People ask you, you know, and they say, "Well, you just know." Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to hate that when they'd say that. <laughs> but now I tell people, "You just know." Here, here it is for me. When I met Susan, game over. There was no desire to check. You know that we talk about the playing field. You know, there was just. It was like I could be dating other people and always wondering when I see another beautiful girl, I wonder what she would mm-hmm. be like. When I met Susan, the wondering was over. It was like that. And it was quickly. How about you, Susan? Right. Yeah, well, when we started dating, like he said, I was kind of dating somebody from Iowa, just kind of, you know. And once we got together, I said goodbye to him at college. <laughs> so I went back to Iowa. I went home, saw this other guy one time and said, nope, I'm done with him. I want this one. <laughs> she sent me a letter saying, come get me. Yep. <laughs> so what did you notice first, though, if you were to describe the adjectives you would use when you met 
and you go back home and tell your friends about this guy you met, you said. Well, a lot of it was <laughs> his where his heart was for mm-hmm. the Lord. And we had a fun time together and just, it was just going deeper and we just mm. so connected. I fell hard for her. Mm. And when she told me she had to go back home and she was dating somebody and they'd, you know, they'd given each other permission. I was one of those who would, had I heard that any other time or with any other girl, I would have said, well, fine, go back. I don't mm-hmm. need this. But we prayed before we left our, uh, yeah. our college. And I sincerely meant it that, Lord, if this is what you have for us, then you'll bring it to pass. And if not, mm-hmm. then I should be willing to surrender it. But that was kind of cool because our relationship really started in a place of surrender. Yeah, and how old were you at that time? I was, uh, at that time, 20 years old. Yeah, that's a very mature line of thinking, you know, for a 20-year-old. Because a lot of times, like when I was 20 and I saw a girl, I didn't, I don't know that I consulted with God right away, right? (laughs) Well, especially when like your life's in the balance, when you're making these big decisions and you want to say, just give me the for sure yes, God, just tell me for sure. And have to say, my future is in your hands, even though this is what I really want. Yeah. Yeah, But I just feel like God so opened the door to Mm. bring us together. And again, like how, as we said, okay, Lord, what's your will? And the Lord just so moved in our time and just the timing of it. And, and I mean... And you know what? We, we, we were talking with you guys earlier about the fact that, you know, Susan, from the moment she came to Christ and saw her new pastor and his wife functioning in ministry, mm-hmm. God put a desire on her mm-hmm. heart he did. to be married to a pastor. Mm-hmm. I always like to say, when I found that out, I raised my hand and said, okay, I'll, I'll. <laughs> But I'm, I'm telling you, I know from the weight that you carry as a pastor, you really need somebody who's called. Mm-hmm. You really need it. If you're, if you're going to make it in a family, you got to have a wife that's like equally called. And we're in this together. That's been her. So, Susan, her. do you feel like your expectations of what you hoped pastor's wife life would be like was anything like what you expected? I was so thrilled just like, because, like, you know, like I told you how I didn't even become a Christian until I was 15 because mm-hmm. I'd never heard the gospel and finally heard that. And then how being in Iowa and get prompted, you're supposed to go to this Bible college. Mm-hmm. And I just, just how God brought us together. And it has been such a blessing just to serve God and then for us to be doing that together. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thrilled that, mm-hmm. that that all came together. And I mean, I love what we're doing. So looking back uh, on your dating years, how long did you date before marriage? We were dating uh, a little over two years. Mm-hmm. We were dating a, a little more than a year when we got engaged. Then it had a, we had our full senior year of uh, Bible college to finish up. Uh, we got engaged in August of 1980 and married in July of 81. So two years, I mean, were you together a lot during that time? So it, at, at the Bible college. At the Bible college we were, but then in the our summer. Sum, our summers were spent away. You know, okay. She was back home and I was Iowa and ministering Ohio. somewhere or whatever, you know. So what do you think was the biggest surprise once you got married? You know, you, you got to know each other during your dating years, and there's a lot going on with college and trying to get that uh, finished up. But then you're married and you're with each other every day. What was the biggest surprise going into marriage? You want to start with that one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would say looking back, we were a little bit naive about the challenges mm-hmm. because we didn't, we really never fought, didn't argue. I look back and go, that's because I think she stuffed a lot mm-hmm. when she should have been telling me I'm dropping mm-hmm. a paper on her at the last minute because I wasn't 
I didn't type in this type of thing. Hey, you got time to type this up for me? And she would always, with a smile, say yes. I think sometimes she went back to the dorm and said, why does he do this to me? But she would never say that to me. No. And so I think, uh, you know, her mom and dad, before they came to Christ, who were fighting all the time, mm-hmm. and even as a little girl, she remembers sitting on the floor in the closet crying because, you know, of the hostility going on in her house. I think when she came to Jesus, her idea was, well, if you marry somebody who loves the Lord, it's, it's going to just great. automatically be great. Mm-hmm. And then she married me. <laughs> and I mean, in our first couple of months, I don't remember what we had little arguments about, but we had arguments. One day where I, I got up and went out and slept on the couch. And Susan was always saying, like, well, there must really be something wrong with us. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we could have 5% of something we needed to work on, and she'd see the other 90. Mm. There's something wrong, you know, Christians mm. shouldn't be going through this. And I remember saying to her in those first couple of months of marriage, Susan, part of why we have a covenant with one another is is because we're going to have to work mm-hmm. through things. Because I'm a Christian, I am never walking out that door. It doesn't mean we're never going to have things we got to work through, mm. but I'm not walking out the mm-hmm. door because of my covenant with you and my covenant with the Lord. So since we're stuck with each other, let's make it good, you know? And over the course of time, we've learned how to make it good. So how was that like for you, Susan, when you were those first couple of fights? What do you remember thinking to well, yourself think, as a young bride? I think a lot of it went back to, like he was saying, with me growing up, experiencing that in my family all the time, I just thought that, well, as Christians, we'll never have those disagreements mm-hmm. and everything will be good. But you know what? It's just that as Christians, you learn how to handle it differently. Mm-hmm. And so we just really grew in that and are able to have conversations and times even when we're disagreeing about something. And, you know, and I even have to say, you know, will you forgive me, you know, about being short and different things. And, but I think just yeah, a lot of it had to do with what I, just today, didn't I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I've, I've done messages over, we've done a lot of marriage series over the years, 32 years here at Northwoods, mm-hmm. five years before that. But, uh, I have always, not in every series, but I, I tend to con- include something on communication. But I remember one series where I said, how to have a good fight. Mm. And by that I meant yeah. there are good fights and there are bad fights, mm. and here's the difference. A good fight is one where you do abide by the rules, but the, at the end of the day, you've learned how to work it through to where we're in a, good, we're in a new place. Mm. Stronger. Because we had this kind of fallout. Whereas... We're not beating each other up. We're not, you know, but we are putting our truth on the table. We're working through it. Yes, there's emotion, but we're doing it the right way, and we're coming out the other end with fresh understanding mm. and and a deeper place in our relationship. And I think, too, another thing that affects that is just, you know what, normally the person you marry, you don't have the same personality types. You yeah. Know? And so that's another thing that, you know, is different, but that's for a great reason because as a connection, you know, Four to three strands, that was our marriage verse. Um, the Lord just really uses that. I'm a competitor, always have been. I I like to run hard, run fast. I The Rickner way is to get a little bit loud when we're amped up. <laughs> Susan is the most patient, kind, gentle, do for others that I've ever met. That's what I loved about her. You know, she was born like a nine on a scale of 10 <laughs> in like gentleness and kindness. Mm. I was born like a two. I said, you, you know, I could work the rest of my life and not get to nine. And I'm like, you know how much the Lord has transformed me to get to six? 
<laughs> I'm still three notches behind you. So, Susan, I'm interested to know that if you're growing up and seeing all this fighting, and for you that was a bad thing, and it probably never resolved, let's say, your parents weren't in a better place. What did that feel like if you could like have a fight and say, actually, we're better off instead of just crying? Well, yeah, it makes me understand now more as I started going through that mm-hmm. time, made me understand that, hey, this is working things out. You know, it's not all, everything just isn't just perfectly worked out. I mean, but you have to talk about things and go through things and it helps give you an understanding mm-hmm. of the things that are different, what we need to work on. I think it's being aware of each other's primary wounding as well. You know, Susan... Uh, her her woundedness was in her identity as a person that she had to be perfect. I was told mm-hmm. that and she's, every day. She just strived times. to be perfect. She was, I thought she was pretty close to perfect. <laughs> but anytime, you know, what what happens when you, I mean, I would keep things in at times going, I wish I could talk to her about this, but what she's going to hear <laughs> is that I'm attacking her. Mm-hmm. So we had to learn how, you know, kind of good protocol for our fights. So I could say, now, Susan, I want you to understand something. I need, I need to tell you some truth, but I, I, this isn't an attack on you, mm-hmm. okay? But this is what it does to my heart when this happens. And if she could, you know, what she needed from me was be gentle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't come at me with that voice raised and, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that, so we've just had to learn yeah. that kind of pace and, we don't always get it right even today yet, but we're, I feel like we're in a fairly good place with each other. Yeah, and it's definitely evidence in in the way that you your the outwardness of your relationship. Um, I wanted to go back a, a second. You, we talked a little bit because I think a lot of people don't realize what they bring into their marriages from their childhoods. Yeah. And uh, when you look at you guys and you look at the great marriage you have and the way that you smile and and just the demeanor with each other, it's like you must have had perfect childhoods. <laughs> and yet we know that isn't true. Nope. Um, and so I would love to to start with you, Susan, just ask a little bit about your childhood and what were some of the learning curves coming into marriage? Like habits you had to relearn and, you know, where God had to free you up from those, those wounds. Well, like you said, just even you saying God frees, you Mm -hmm. know, I mean, he changes things night and day when we finally submit those things to him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the whole thing about the fighting and just never getting along with my parents, that was a huge thing for me to understand that, yes, we do, we will have disagreements, but we need to discuss those. And it's not about yelling and screaming at each other like what I grew up with. You know, another one that I grew up with was, like he said, was the whole perfectionism. I was told this 10 times a day. You didn't do this. You didn't do it. That's not the right way. That's not right. But but that was coming out of what my mom grew up with. And when I finally realized that there's there's still those thoughts will come. Oh, you didn't? No. The (laughs) truth is, I let go of that, and I forgave my parents for that, and I've forgiven them for their marriage issues and everything. And that's how God, once we walk through that, how God just sets us free, and then we realize who we are. So yeah. I'd say those are two major things. Yeah, and, I, and I'm really sorry that you had to walk through some of those things. I, I look at the contrasting difference from my own childhood to my kids' childhood. <laughs> and, I, and I think, you know, my kids being older and how they're just full of life and they're, you know, how, it, how the things that happen to us uh, do threaten to hurt our futures. And uh, I love that you t- kind of took the bull by the horns and said, I'm not going to let this happen. We're going to stop it now. We're drawing a line in the yeah. sand. And Cal, I've heard you share before about your dad and your mom and the things that you brought into your marriage. Yeah, I brought a nurture wound from my mom. I, 
I longed to know that I was loved, I was approved, I was accepted. I had a brother, older brother, that we all loved. Dave was great. But we knew the sun kind of rose and set on him. Mm. And the aspiration in my life from as early as I can remember, I want to be like Dave because I love the way people respond to him and respect him. And the the lie I believed early on is you will never get that because you don't deserve it. Mm. Uh, you're not him. So I had a lot of negative talk, but my heart longed to just hear those words. I love you to be held. Uh, I longed for that. And that wasn't, that just was non-existent in our family. We didn't hug each other. We didn't speak words of love to each other. We fought and then we just were supposed to be over it. Um, so we pushed down a lot of hurt. The rest of my family doesn't remember being disciplined. I All I can remember is being disciplined all the time. <laughs> I was ornery. I was a redhead. And Pastor Kyle, how many kids are in your family? Where, and what number are you? I was number seven. Mm-hmm. I remind them that's the biblical number of perfection. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to the Bible college and guys would come up and hug me and say, I love you. And, you know, th- the goal of my first Christmas home in 1977 um, was I, I had people praying for me. I want to have the courage to tell my dad for the first time in my life that I love him. still remember when that happened in the middle of the living room on Christmas Eve, the big tear that came out of his eye as he walked up and gave me a hug, and it just broke the ice. I, I feel like I really uh, was able to have credible talks with my dad. Um, but then, again, it didn't change that much with my mom. She was, mm. she was locked up, and now I know why. Mm. But I brought that too. You know, I, I love my family today. But I tell people the the Rickner way is we do, we don't hear from each other for twenty years everything's good. There's no you know so I, I'm with a wife that loves to be with me, loves to talk, loves to and I'm like Rickners don't talk. I think again it's not something though I've worked at it and I'm far more relational I think than anyone in my family. My kids will still say like I've, Catherine and Victoria are on the phone chit chatting together. My two daughters. And one of them said, uh, not all that long ago, like, Dad, we were talking the other day, and we really think that if it wasn't for us calling you, you would never call us. Uh (laughs) And this has been a theme in my life, take initiative, take initiative, take. And I would say even as a pastor, I've underestimated over and over and over and over again how much people would appreciate hearing from me. Mm. And my mindset is, well, no news is good news. Right. You yeah. I'll tell you if something changes. <laughs> One of the things I've heard you share is there was a, we all have life-changing moments that really set the trajectory of our lives. And for you kind of growing up the way you did without hearing your dad say, I love you and the yep. discipline and all that, um, you had a moment where your dad expressed yeah. Genuine sorrow, and and he was sorry about something, and changed my heart. I, I, I would I would set that up to say to every mom and dad out there, the scriptures say, you know, fathers don't exasperate your children. One of the greatest ways you exasperate them is when you wound their heart. You're wrong in the way you respond. You know you are, but you never go back and acknowledge that, and so their heart just goes, okay, they know you were wrong. You want to open their heart again by saying, I need your forgiveness. I need you to pray for me and help me to become the father I want to be. And so we had come home from a canoe trip. Uh, we, our youth group would always have these canoe trips. It was early summer. And the pastor had talked, our youth pastor had talked about having a better relationship with your mom and dad. Well, of course, I'm, I'm bothered because I go, well, I feel like I want a better relationship with them, but I don't know if they even think about that. There's nothing, 
that would indicate to me that my mom and dad think about, hey, I, I just want to be closer to you. That wasn't language we'd use. It wasn't obvious to me that they ever think about that. Anyway, uh, my dad was planting some late corn, and I remember he came up and woke my brother Dan was a year older than me, so I think I was just going into my senior year of high school. Dan was just out of high school. I was still working on the farm with Dad, and he came up and gave us an assignment. Go over to this one farm, get his truck, take it down, get some corn, bring it back to where he's planting. And we got over to the farm, and his truck wasn't there. And we're we're debating, do we take this other farmer's truck? Well, we don't want to do that. There's a big farm truck there. Did he mean this truck? And then all of a sudden, he comes flying up the lane, dust flying, jumps out of the truck. And when my dad was under pressure, I get it. But, I mean, he could be really, really angry. He jumped out of that truck and yelled at us, I told you to take the truck and get going, you know, just screaming. I said, you told us to take your truck. Well, there's a truck right there. Get going, you know. I remember getting in the pickup with my my brother Dan, who was shaking his head and going, the old man, you know, just like a, I'm looking out the window because I didn't want Dan to see there's tears rolling down mm-hmm. my face. And I'm talking to the Lord in my heart, and I go, this is why I don't want to care anymore. Mm-hmm. Every time I care, I just end up getting hurt again. I don't want to care. We drove down to this one farm, picked up some corn, came back to where my dad was planting. My, my brother Dan says, go ask the old man what he wants. I said, I ain't going out there. You go. Dad was way down at the end of the field, turning around, coming back this way. And because Dan was older, he always prevailed. You know, he said, get out there. So I went out there, and I'm standing at the end of the, the row waiting for my dad to come, last place in the world that I wanted to be. And normally he would come up, just kind of dial the tractor back, kind of yell over the engine, say, now go down here and do this or that. And on that particular day, he got up to where I was standing. I'll never forget it. He shut the tractor off. Mm. Complete Silence. I'm looking down, and then my dad says, I'm really sorry that I jumped all over you this morning. I looked up. He had a tear coming down his face. My dad knew the Lord. I knew that. He could not have known what I was praying, and only the Lord knew how much I needed that that day. And it forever opened my heart to my father. I talked to him numerous times. I remember him going, boy, I don't remember that. I go, Dad, I'll never forget it because you stopped and you acknowledge that you were wrong. I said it forever opened my heart to you. And the Lord was like saying, trust me with your father. Mm. I, still, I still get emotional. It was such a powerful moment for me. I love that because I, I think as fathers, we lose sight of the, of the impact that we can have no. on our kids and in our everyday life and the things and the stresses that we have going through. Sometimes I am short with my kids or my tone's rough or whatever. And I just, I move right on yeah. and I forget that it doesn't take long to, to have a lifelong moment on either side of that. that long. You know, that's the, I, I've tried to go back and get pictures of special places in my life mm. that were marked by a real encounter with the Lord. And that's one place I never drive by there, but that that's where dad stopped the tractor it's become moments in my life in parenting where the way I would frame it, it's time to shut the tractor off. Yeah, That's good. That's you know, really good. You, you, you blew it. You need to go shut the tractor off with your child right now. Well, and I'm sure you saw uh, that in your marriage too, right? Yes. And to be able to say, okay, I really messed up here. I'm going to shut the tractor off and own up. Yeah. And how that softens both of your hearts. It opens the heart. It does. Just, just acknowledge Mm. I messed up. I need your forgiveness. And I need you to pray with me because I want to grow. I don't want to keep hurting your heart that way. 
Susan, I heard uh, when you guys were talking earlier, you you talked about this idea of in your marriage, one of the things that's regular is forgiveness. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Uh, was that right from the beginning or was that something you guys had to learn as you kind of went through your marriage? Did your parents teach you that? Did your parents teach you how to oh, apologize never, and forgive? No. Never heard <laughs> the words, will you forgive never, me? Never, mm. ever heard that. And um, that's a Christian. We were a Christian family. Yeah. I never heard the words, will you forgive me? Yeah. yeah, And I never heard that either. There was just so much. I mean, eventually I'm still saying my parents did become believers, <laughs> but um, they just had so many things that they never really dealt with and stuff. But but yes, I feel like we've grown in that, you know, realizing that we need to forgive each other and been able to walk through that. And it's just so huge when you can let go of that and then come back together. So just to kind of catch people up to where your story is, so you get married and you end up in Illinois pastoring a church. Indiana first. Indiana and then Illinois. Oh, yeah, Illinois was the... First at Moore. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were in a 15-month internship right mm-hmm. after Bible. Mm-hmm. And so you jump right into full-time ministry. Things are getting busy, and then pretty soon you start growing your family. We loved Morton. It mm-hmm. was just we got connected with so many people, and it was just an awesome time. And then and then I still remember, for me, I got my first teaching job, but mm-hmm. then we felt like we were supposed to be going to seminary. It was, and... And you your feet. <laughs> yes, I did drag my feet because I was so excited because teaching is kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. I love it. We, would, we mm-hmm. would fight over whether we were going to seminary or not. I, every time I'd say, we're going to seminary next year. We got it. No, no. She didn't want to. <laughs> and finally, the Lord said, stop arguing about this. Stop talking to her about it. I remember thinking, well, how, but, how, how am I going to convince her we need to go? <laughs> oh, yeah, and yeah. I just was not happy because I'm like, I've always wanted to do this, and this she is where we're to supposed to be. She wants to teach right? And I'm like, no, I'm going to seminary. And the Lord told me to quit talking about it. With or without you, I guess. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I went two months only talking to the Lord about it. Oh. We were walking in a park over in Morton one day. I still remember that spot. And she starts crying. We were on a day off. She starts crying, and she says, I'm really sorry. She says, but the Lord's been speaking to me, and I think we need to go to seminary. So I feel like it was a combination of both you trusting God independently, but also <laughs> building your trust in each other, like mm-hmm. kind of saying, okay, yeah. I have to f- kind of trust that Cal wants the best for me and that you want the best and for her. Because God's going to yeah. you know, bring that about. Right, so you finished seminary, and you already had yes. your first baby yes. mm-hmm. ready to go. As we, moved, we, we went, went back we, to Grayville, we went to Grayville Indiana, then. had our first church, mm-hmm. and that's where yeah. our, our first, first child was born. And of course, once children come along, everything's perfect, right? Smooth sailing from there. <laughs> you had your your first two children, right? But our first three children. First three there, children. In Grayville. Okay, in Grayville. 86, 88, what would have been 90, but he was born early. He was in born in 89. 89 and, and passed away in 10 hours. Mm-hmm. And that was Christopher, right? Christopher. Yes. Just hearing your story is amazing because... You can see how, number one, there was surrender throughout the whole thing. Even when we do get, I don't know about you, but sometimes I like Still to stuck on something. think I'm yeah. surrendering, oh. but maybe not quite there, and God has to keep coaching me along. Mm-hmm. But in that surrender, obviously there were things you were learning. There were tough seasons in there as, as God was growing you, but he was preparing you for a storm, literally, that was coming. Do you want to share a little bit about Christopher and that season of your life and kind of what God did through that? First, when I went to the went to the doctor, I, 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 they said, you're going to have twins. I was so excited because <laughs> I just... You love children. I love kids. It's my thing. <laughs> and so excited. And the next time you go back, oh, there's only one. And so, and then it just, time after time, it would just say, oh, well, you're not going to make it. And But then God would, he just kept answering and mm. it just kept... Okay, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine, you know. And he just kept taking us through that. 
And then when Christopher was born, and he was born early, I mean, for me at first, it was so it was so hard. I didn't understand this. We were hey. told we were losing him at nine weeks. Right, but and then now we're out it to just uh huh, yeah. And it's like I just and I I got very upset at the Lord and not understanding. It took me a couple of years when I finally was able to. God just so spoke to me. I would not trade for even though we lost Christopher. I cannot be more thankful that we had him and had him for ten and a half hours. Mm. And I, I just. It's how God brings you through those things, and he brings good out of even horrible times. He changes things when we submit to him. And he is so, he's so patient with us. And I, I love oh. what you, you said there, because I think some people think if you're a good Christian person, you walk through a hard time, you should have it figured out pretty quick. Right? You, you should be able to get through it and get on with your life and put it all back together. And it takes time. And for every one of us, the grieving process is different. different yeah. I was angry. And... Uh, you know, I, I think I learned through that particular uh, episode in my life um, to have prayed and to believe God for healing. We, we, I always believe God, the God of the Bible is a healing God, and mm-hmm. we have seen him do amazing things. And I was believing him even as a young pastor for the life of my child. And I saw him do Time after time after time, there was nothing yes. in our minds that would have concluded that even though he came early, we're not going to have this child. Yeah. Mm. And then to lose him. I lived with Philip Yancey's book, Disappointment with God, for three or four months. I, I found it was almost like the name, the title was almost healing to me. Mm-hmm. Like, is it okay for a Christian or even a pastor to admit that I'm really disappointed with God right now? Because I'd never heard anybody in the church. You only sometimes you yeah. just have to say, "Well, you know what, God, God's ways are higher than our mm-hmm. ways." And we just—I was going. I know all that, but in my heart and in my emotional world right now, I feel like you know Jeremiah said, "Lord, you deceived me. Mm. You, you asked me to trust you, and then you let me down." That's what it felt like. And I go, "Can our relationship with God handle that kind of honesty?" Mm. And that's that's where I would say. I grew closer to him and deeper in him through the midst of disappointment than, than any other time mm. in my life. And Northwoods was birthed out of that time. And sure enough, here we are, two, three months <laughs> later, we're on our way to start a new church. Wow. Now, that had some issues in it as well. Yeah, it was very hard. I was thinking, I just, you know. I was like, I can't leave here. This is where he was born. I just can't leave here. Well, but I think, again, I think Susan, Susan is wired. I always used to say my relationships are a mile wide and inch deep. Hers are an inch wide and a mile deep. She loved the little town of Graybill. All of the relationships she had there, the small church I was leading, I was dying on the vine. I had this evangelistic gift in me that I didn't know. I I couldn't have conceived I was going to be a pastor. I thought I'd be an itinerant evangelist. But then I heard about the Willow Creek movement and reaching seekers through the local church, and it lit a, a new vision in me in 1988. I didn't know what to do with it. But by 1990, I was asked to come and plant this church. Now, I'll tell you, we came here. I wanted to come. I, I'm driven by bigger is better. And I, I was ready to say yes, and she wasn't. I just argued, and, no, and, we can't go, no. <laughs> and I finally laid it down. And again, this is in the middle of all this turmoil as well. And I remember saying to Susan, because there, there's two, flo- you know, two different philosophies you hear in the Christian church. The man's the leader. The woman should just follow, right? <laughs> As much as I believe, you know, Susan wants me to lead, 
there have been times where in my leading, she also wants permission to hear from God for mm-hmm. herself. And and I remember that I felt like I had said yes out here, believing that I'd said it for both of us. And Susan wasn't ready. And I finally said to her, honey, I will not hold it against you, I promise. But if you're not released into this mm-hmm. move, I will call them back and tell them mm. that we're not coming. I need to know that you're going because God's called us. And yeah. I, she has told me before, I'll never forget it, she said, in the moment that you allowed me permission to hear for myself, I knew we were supposed to go. Yeah, we knew. That's again that building that trust too, that he wasn't just going to blindly run ahead without mm-hmm. truly saying, you are with me every step of the way. I'm not going to let you be one step behind. What yeah. it took to build mm-hmm. this thing? You know how much I needed to know that mm-hmm. she was called to? It wasn't what well, I, I had to come because you, you said. Right. You well, know? Especially when things get hard and yes. there's inevitable conflicts mm-hmm. and issues Absolutely. with growing ministry. And she's kind of going, I told you we shouldn't have done this. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely right. When it comes to your health care, what are some words you would use to describe your experience with them? Comfort? Peace? Confidence? Well, at Samaritan Ministries, those are just some of the words our members use frequently when a health care need arises, like these friends. In 2016, we found out that our youngest son, Asher, had cancer. I will just never forget crying in the lobby of the hospital on the phone with the Samaritan Ministries person on the other end who ended the call saying, let's just pray about this. When it does hit you and you really wonder what's going to happen, it worked. Interested in becoming part of a growing, caring community of Christians who not only faithfully share each other's medical needs each month, but also support each other with prayer and encouragement? It's affordable, and you can join today. If you'd like more information, visit us at SamaritanMinistries.org smiles. That's SamaritanMinistries.org smiles. What you guys walk through with Christopher really threatens a lot of marriages. I mean, this, you don't have to look very hard to see marriages don't survive that. And so was it, it, was it intentionality? Was it an intentional decision to just say, I'm going to continue to, to trust in God and trust in each other, and I'm going to continue to, to still grow the marriage even in spite of the pain that I'm experiencing? Well, the anger too, right? Right, yeah. yeah. I think for me, I, I was, we were both kind of in our own ways having it out with God. Here's what I learned. In the deepest places of disappointment and brokenness, in my life, disappointment with God, I could not walk away. Mm. That is comforting to know. I felt like he had my heart clutched. I was not a happy camper. Mm. I'd I'd look at my Bible laying on the bedstand every morning when I'd wake up, and and this is what I'd say, I'm not talking to you today. (laughs) Well, what am I doing? I'm talking to him, right? Mm. But I knew I was his. Mm. And there was a night he took me to John 6. I remember saying, Lord, I got to stay up until I got this figured out. I, I'm upset. I said, Lord, I, I have to get to the bottom of some things here. And I, I remember him asking me, you know, I do believe the Lord ministers through that still small, small voice. And it was clear to me that he was dialoguing with me in my heart. He said, Cal, is it possible that there are some things I know that you don't? Well, I go, obviously, you're, you're God. Well, then, is it possible that there are some ways that this fits within the grand scheme of my will in ways that you will never understand. Then will you trust that? Mm-hmm. And he took me to John 6, where at the end of that chapter, everybody's turning away and walking away. 
because they came to see the big things. They came to see the miracles. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you guys going to leave too? You remember what Peter said? You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? I remember the night I said that with tears. I've got nowhere else to go, Lord. I'm disappointed, but I'm following you the rest of my life. And it was out of that place of brokenness we got here to Peoria. I feel like I feel like our whole ministry was birthed in giving hope to people who are broken. And that's even now the new kind of mission statement, the way we say it is inviting broken world people to experience complete freedom in Christ Jesus, you know. What's awesome, especially when you can look back at your own life yeah. and say, I was on that journey as well. Yeah. Oh, I was just, I mean, I just think the whole word trust is just such a huge word that we submit to God's plans because if we don't, we miss out. And I, I'm just amazed at how God brings us through hard times and through changes. Like I lost my brother and then, you know, but God, God took me through that, losing Christopher all the transitions that we've had. One of my favorite verses that God is, you know, is for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future. Mm. But it is when I choose to say, okay, even though I don't understand everything, you're my true father and you love me and you have plans and I can trust you. And doing that just changes everything because then we're not missing out on all that he has for us. And just like how... He talked about, like, with us coming out here, that was solely God showing us what he was doing. And if I don't submit that I'm missing out on the plans that he has for me, he created us all for a purpose. And it takes struggle and, and heartache and working through things to get to that place. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that too, by the way. I, I see that in my own marriage and reflected in, in my own walk with God. Uh, back in 1994, you're full blown in ministry. You've got kids, family life is crazy. And you heard, I think it was Bill Hybel say something that, that yeah. really resonated with you. Well, that, that's where... A turning point, yeah. Now we know for Bill, whatever happened here in 2018, mm-hmm. there were a lot of things that maybe were, were hidden. But I'll tell you what, he was the first pastor I ever heard get really authentic and honest about his own issues. I, I will say it's still one of the things that is one of my favorite things to hear is I, I just love the fact that you don't hide your own struggles because mm. it makes me feel like, well, maybe I'm not so bad after all. I struggle too. Right. But if you never hear that from the guy yeah. leading, you think there's something wrong with you mm-hmm. or you think that Christianity is supposed to keep you from the struggles. Right. Rather than know it's the presence of God in the midst of What do you say? I'll be with him in trouble. We always want to say, well, God, why do I have trouble if you're with me? <laughs> you didn't know I'll be with you in trouble. And it was during that season, right, that you began to realize in your own marriage that the communication with the kids and stuff, it yeah. just it was the communication was breaking down. Yeah. And you had said something about putting fun back into your marriage. Well, listen, I don't know of a couple that didn't fall in love by having fun somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. right? Yep. And then yep. we get married. We don't do anything but just work, work, work. Business. <laughs> and it becomes business. Yeah. And I remember saying to Susan, um, we found somebody to stay with the kids for about five days. We took our little Geo Metro that would get about 60 miles to the gallon if the wind was blowing the right way. Uh, otherwise, it could hardly get to 50 miles an hour if the wind was blowing against us. <laughs> little moped flying by. Dro- yeah, we drove down to Gulf Shores. And I, I just remember that weekend walking the beach, watching movies, 
going out to restaurants, laughing. And I remember as I'm coming home, wow, we kind of forgotten how to have fun. Yeah. That was so fun. And I just want to say to couples, you, you wouldn't have fallen in love if you didn't have fun with each other. Mm-hmm. Don't let your marriage become funless. <laughs> so how did that feel for you, Susan, when he's kind of like saying, did you notice a change like when he recommends this trip or this whole intention? Oh, it was just, it just, that just became such a huge thing for us to realize that we needed those break times. And like I said, we didn't have much money to pay for, you know, like sitters and all mm-hmm. of this. And, and that's why we had another couple that every couple weeks, you know, we'd watch their kids one week and then the next week they'd watch our kids. And it was just because we needed a date night just mm-hmm. to be together, just the two of us and have fun. And I mean, our parents watched our kids too. And it was just like, it was so special because it just reminds you of how close you really are and how much fun you have together. And that is just so necessary to marriages. So honest question, is it hard sometimes at that point when you're together alone not to talk about what's going on at work, what's going on with the kids, that transition? Because you usually have a lot of things going on. You're like, what are we going to do about this? And we have this coming up. Do you feel like that was a hard jump to make to say, let's forget about the world and the stress and just be? I think, I think we worked real hard just, <laughs> just you know, to have that's fun. That's why I say just, watch some movies, yeah. walk the beach, and just uh, yeah, catch up with each other a little bit. I mm-hmm. I will say that our kids used to fight us on it. Why do you and mom always have to go out for this and that? <laughs> yep, not and I remember I would say to them, trust me, if I don't do this, you won't yep. like me very well. Mm-hmm. I'll be a whole lot better dad to you if your mom and I get a little time together. Yep. <laughs> Well, and for me too, as a mom, there was time, even as my kids got a little bit older and stuff, I mean, I homeschooled them for kindergarten, for um, kindergarten and first grade and stuff, but I needed that time, just my time, mm-hmm. you know, that time with the Lord. And it's just like, even as they get older, they realized, hey, nope, you're in your room right now, you read a book or do something, but mm-hmm. I need this time down. And that is so important that we just take, like as moms, that we take some time down just to spend with the Lord and relax and... um such a blessing. I love it. She's, she's Susan, but I love the imagery of Susanna Wesley, who had 17 kids. John and Charles Wesley. <laughs> That's your Wesley. wish, right, Susan? And yeah, you know, I wanted more. You know, it said that as her kids got older, she would put the older ones in charge of the younger ones, and she would pull her apron up over her head and be kind of under the... And that was her... That That's was all her, she had. That was her time with Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now you're an empty nester, you're about to do some traveling, you're looking back over your... 41 years almost of marriage. Is there any advice that you wish someone had told you at the very beginning? Are there any potholes that maybe you fell into that you wish somebody had told you or warned you about? I think for me, just realizing that, like as I talked earlier about what I grew up with seeing, realizing that, yes, you will have, even though you love each other very much, mm-hmm. you will have disagreements on things. But that's where if you talk about that, there will be good come out of that and you guys will grow closer. And so that's just a big thing for me that when you're bothered about something, sit down and talk mm-hmm. about don't it. Don't be afraid of it. Yeah. Right. Don't mm-hmm. just hang on to it and just get all upset. But no, <laughs> talk about it. And, and there's times I have to, you know, ask forgiveness. That is another way of just growing you closer together. That's fantastic. What you had a thought? I think if I can even get a... Um Go someplace here on this. <laughs> okay, we're being yeah. honest. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think the church for years um, was a place where we had to hide our brokenness because we weren't sure whether we'd be accepted. And I never heard anybody in my church say, hey, you know what? We were born in the world, separated from God, 
sinful, but nobody would ever define it and say, and that means your sexuality came broken as well. Mm-hmm. I grew up with uh, imagery in my mind that I didn't know what to do with. And I compared Susan unfavorably for years. I thought maybe I get married, everything will be great, right? Well, it didn't stop the ability to lust mm-hmm. after something else or whatever. I didn't know at the time that a believer truly could be set free from that type mm-hmm. of thing. I think there's a lot of men in the church today that are that have been praying and praying and praying and trying to stop unwanted sexual behavior that they don't like and this type of thing. And I just want to say, particularly to men out there today, um, you can be free. Jesus mm-hmm. can heal that. But it does take a place of safety where you can be honest about your struggle and you can open up. And I'm just saying, I, I just think there's a lot of that kind of brokenness that's just being played out in marriages. Oh, yeah. It's decimated mm-hmm. uh, marriages even within the Christian church because we haven't been good at talking about our own sexual brokenness. Mm. So someone's listening right now, and they're resonating with what you just said. Are there resources? Absolutely. What would you recommend? I've just stepped off of a board that I was on for four years. I may go back to it, but since I'm traveling this year, uh, I would just recommend a ministry called Pure Desire. You can just go Mm -hmm. to Pure Desire. We have ministries going on at our church right now that are saving marriages. Mm-hmm. Women who have been on maybe themselves bound by pornography or whatever it may be, or more often than not, it's the woman who's been betrayed. It's an incredible ministry called Betrayal and Beyond. I just think the church has to get honest about that, quit shoving it under the rug. The, the enemy works through shame yes. mm-hmm. and making us feel that if somebody knows we struggle, they're going to think ill of us. Mm-hmm. Rather than having that safe place, what, we confess to God, it says he forgives us. But what did James say? Okay. Confess to others, you'll be healed. Right. It's that bringing this stuff out into the light, right. that now not only are our secrets exposed, and I'm not alone in it anymore, mm-hmm. but now there's a place where God can heal it. Because I, I always say you can't heal what you conceal. So we, we've got to have safe places where we can bring that out into light. And I think it's helped Susan and I uh, to talk about things that we would have been ashamed of that I never heard my mom and dad would never talk. I never seen, even saw them hold the hands. Yeah. Mm. I used to think, well, they got 10 kids. They must have <laughs> done something, you know. They must know about this. But there was nothing comfortable around anything sexual. There was just always shame. Well, it sounds you know, like that kind you and Susan had those conversations sooner than later. How yeah. was how is that when you, God began to reveal that to you? And, and I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone who may be listening right now who is having this revelation moment. And how would you recommend them approaching their wife? How do they, or, or husband, how, do you, how did that first conversation go between you and Susan? Uh, I think I can remember when I, I had to tell her that, you know, I had viewed, you know, I would view pornography. It really hurt her. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to tell her, that's not really about you, honey. Well, how else could she take it? Then right. he must not think I'm beautiful if he has to look at something else. I didn't really want to go there, but I didn't want to live with it in secret either. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if you remember some of those conversations, but I just remember you not feeling very good about yourself. At first I was like, you know, I didn't understand. Wait, you, you're looking at other stuff like that? I mean, you've always, I mean, I was, I was very surprised and didn't understand that. But then again, like I said, I'm, I'm just thankful that he was able to admit that. And I, and I realized that we had a close marriage. And for me, the whole, that whole aspect of my life, I mean, I was so afraid because what I grew up with that I didn't have anything 
wouldn't even go near anything. I'm like glad that. she was innocent. I'm glad she was pure. She's never known another mm-hmm. man mm. outside of me. Mm-hmm. I never you knew another woman sexually yep. outside of her, and that only after we were married. So we did it right in terms of, you know, Paul said, in terms of personal righteousness, we could pat ourselves on the back that way. But I don't, I don't do a whole lot of patting myself on the back because uh, the Lord let me know very clearly, Cal, you have an adulterous heart. Mm-hmm. That's what you, your mind and your, your the, the fantasy world in your head. Uh, I would keep saying, why can't I just be focused on Susan? You know, and uh, it took it took it wasn't like it instantly went. I mean, it took a, a him digging into places in that nurture wound in my heart was really a desire to be validated mm-hmm. as a man. I had never been validated as a man by anybody in my world, not my dad, not my mom. But you can go there in your head, and you can be validated by other women. So that, that's the fantasy world. But again, there's the lie. I, I, I think sexual lust was the drug of choice. I'm mm-hmm. grateful I never went down that road with anybody else. But I'm a pastor, and it wasn't like it was always. It would be like seasonal. It would be like if I get into a place of stress or loneliness or whatever, there were triggers. You know, Jesus said when Jesus you know, was able to resist the devil, it said the devil left him until an opportune time. I always ask people, you know your opportune time? Because mm-hmm. if you don't, the enemy does, mm-hmm. I guarantee you. Mm-hmm. No, my opportune time isn't when I'm preaching or when I'm having great fellowship <laughs> with people or when we're together. My opportune time would be when I'm traveling or I'm alone and I'm lonely. And mm-hmm. I hated that. I, I, I wanted to say, Lord, I don't, I can't, you know, I'm supposed to be preaching the gospel. If I'm going to be battling this all my life, I feel like I'm a, a hypocrite. And uh, I, I'm grateful the Lord brought me to a place where, for most Christians, we, we are taught a pattern of binge purge, binge purge, mm-hmm. binge purge. Mm-hmm. The Lord wants there to be something on the other side of purge. How about we heal, mm-hmm. and then you won't have to binge anymore. Mm-hmm. My healing came when the Lord healed that. There's two uh, amazing takeaways um, that I just want to touch on real quick. Uh, number one, God's goodness, right? But the truth will set us free. Amen. And you went for the truth um, with God's help. And number two, Susan, I don't know what you experienced, that the anger or whatever at first, but you created a safe place. Uh, and Kyle, you knew that that was a safe place that you could come. And I think there's absolute power in that because what we hide in the darkness only mm-hmm. grows. But once you bring it into the light, we're able to see it for what it is. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to deal with. Yes. Such a huge thing that when you see things in your life, Lots of times you want to just, well, okay, well, I'll, I'll ask forgiveness for it from the Lord. But it's like, oh, I can't tell anybody else. Mm-hmm. And when we finally talk about that, I mean, then that's a deeper letting go of it. And then, too, God grows us that way. And then he uses horrendous things to help us help other people and to also, you know, because so I just think that that is a huge thing too to actually discuss it and talk about it. And say, hey, you know what? I screwed up. I did this. You know, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And as opposed to keeping it all hidden so that nobody can see this or what will they think if I tell mm-hmm. them this? Yeah. No, I need to let go of it by not only asking forgiveness, but then yes. But I always say that. the fruit. The fruit mm-hmm. is always indicative of a root. Yep. So mm-hmm. if the, you know, for Susan, it's been. If I tell somebody, what are they going to think? Well, the root is mm-hmm. that identity piece again. Uh-huh. Then unless I'm perfect, what are they going to think? If we get healing for that perfection piece, now all of a sudden, I don't have mm-hmm. to be going to that as my, right? And and so 
I've, I've always felt my, my root was never feeling loved. I knew in my head I was, but I'm going to say that's kind of a man, a man thing, you know, well, you, you know, you're loved, but there's nothing emotional about mm. it at, at all. Cause our hearts have been shut off years ago. And mine was wanting to feel loved and wanted to be validated as a man to have somebody look at me and say, you are a man. That's what a dad's supposed to do with his son. Yeah. You are a man. I'm proud of you, man. And look what God has placed in you and that validation. I don't have to go out seeking it elsewhere. I don't have to go seeking it through performance. I don't have to go seeking it through women. And I always tell, I tell people that's become the theme of our ministry, something that I'm going to flesh out, I think, in my next 30-some years, hopefully. <laughs> and that is that the place of our deepest brokenness can become the source of our greatest that's ministry so if we let God heal us, mm-hmm. if we let God heal us. But he can't heal what we conceal. So there's kind of a caveat yeah. there. And just think about that. When he heals somebody, let's say somebody that was, you know, blew up the marriage through adultery, whatever, but he gets free Mm. and he gets healed, he's no longer ashamed to talk about that. He knows what God's done for him. He wants to help other men know this can happen for you. Yep. I, so I love that. Yeah, thank you so much. There's one one other thing I'm going to bring up real quick as we kind of close out. As parents, we work really hard to give our kids the best opportunity at life. And so there's all these dreams that we have for them. There's all these things. And in, in throughout, from changing diapers to skin knees to all of those things throughout the years, our hope is that, number one, our kids have a relationship with Jesus, but also that they have healthy relationships And that somehow we as parents will have had a positive impact on their lives. And you guys had something really cool happen this Christmas. And I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind just sharing with us because... My kids aren't there yet where your kids we're are. Close. We're, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> at 25 years. Um, but when we do get to that place, and if our kids are listening, hint, hint, I'm kidding. Um, man, I can't think of a better gift as a father to receive from my children. That's such a blessing. Mm-hmm. And your you kids are how old, right? They're between... We're 36, 34, 30, mm-hmm. okay. and 26. So don't expect this of your teenagers. Well, I'll set it up by saying that my son and I, Jonathan's following me here in just a few weeks, will be the next lead pastor at Northwoods. We were preaching in October, November through the Ten Commandments. So Jonathan preached on Honor Your Mother and Your Father. And he had a book uh, that came out of my library by Dennis Rainey back in the early 1990s called The Tribute. And that was a powerful book in my own life. I wrote a tribute to my own mother and father. Without us knowing, Jonathan had asked each of the kids to write a tribute to us. And so each of the kids went through what they had written and read what they had written about each of us. And yes, I mean, we're all just, I'm just crying as I'm listening to that. It was just a blessing above and beyond from so our they, kids. They had to each put their tribute on a mm-hmm. page that would fit in a great big plaque that will hang on our wall. Mm-hmm. So it has Manic tributes shirt. from from Catherine, from Jonathan, has a picture of one of our from 20-some years ago, one of our mm-hmm. camping trips, standing in front of a waterfall. And then there's a tribute from Victoria and a tribute from Nathan, and that will hang on our wall. But they each read those to us. Mm. Such a blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was was there a phrase that stood out to you? There were just so many things, but it was just realizing that, you know, none of us are perfect parents, mm-hmm. but realizing that, yes, God still did work through us and that our 
the love of our children. It was just a blessing above and beyond. I think uh, two things for me. One is that I think they all mentioned, Dad, we watched you morning by morning by morning by morning. Spend that time in your chair with God. And we loved the fact that you were the same man at home Mm -hmm. that we saw on that stage. Mm -hmm. And then Jonathan talked about the Rickner name. He said that is a name that is held in high regard and is synonymous with integrity. And he says the name that is now opening doors for me. I love that. It's yeah. such a blessing that the kids, they felt love from us and just how they felt God's love in our family. We really can, in today's culture, leave a legacy. Yeah, We really can. Thank you so much for taking time to share open and honestly uh, about some struggles in your marriage and what God did. Um, I've loved this conversation. It has blessed me richly. And I appreciate it. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you so much, Susan. Thanks so much. Thanks for what you do. Thank you, yes. That was Pastor Cal and Susan Rickner from Northwoods Community Church in Peoria. And I love that we were able to sit down with them. And I'm so grateful that they were willing to share their story behind their smile. It's a lot, 40-something years. And I love that they're moving into their retirement and their golden years, Mm. still in love, ready to keep following God and just such a great testament to what God has done in their marriage. And a couple of things that really stood out to me, Tara, uh, one of the things that that really just kind of hit me when he said it was God can't heal what we conceal. Mm -hmm. And and I love that idea. If If we're carrying stuff in secret, and we're hoping that no one knows about it, especially like maybe God doesn't know about it. You know, God knows about everything. But when we conceal that, it makes it uh, almost impossible mm-hmm. for God to bring healing. In. Right. When we when there's things shoved under the rug, but for many years, right. God can't heal those things till we bring them out. And that reminds me, too, of the, you know, the saying that he had, which we titled our episode was it's time to turn the tractor off or right. it's time to shut the tractor off. Cause I like, love that. It is time to deal with what we need to deal with. And like. But those moments are the ones we find freedom from. And they can be the scariest moments. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I just so appreciate their vulnerability and willingness to be honest. And he shared about one of those moments in his own life when he had to literally shut the tractor off and stop concealing so that God could heal. Uh, he mentioned some resources when he was sharing about that. And maybe you're struggling there. Maybe you're you're trying to find victory or you're close or you're, you're just in the midst of that struggle. Um, we did share links to those resources right in our show notes mm-hmm. to make it really easy for you. Yeah, and absolutely. Then come back next week for episode 21. Mm. We are titling it, you may be right. You may be right. And I didn't say Joe was right. I just said <laughs> Joe may be right. So if you want to hear Can more about our battle with <laughs> being right, that's next week. We also love your ratings and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to connect with you on Facebook. Yeah. We're at Behind Our Smiles. And on Instagram, we are at Behind Our Smiles Pod. So thank you again so much. Thank you to our amazing sponsor, Samaritan Ministries. Uh, When a medical need arises, you get to choose the healthcare providers and treatments that are right for your family. It's uh, affordable. There are no network restrictions. The cool thing is you can join today or find out more. Just go to SamaritanMinistries.org slash smiles.